0: Uh, We're we'll reading three different portions of Scripture, but I'll have us all turn to John chapter 4, reading verses 43 through45. We'll also be reading Matthew 4:17 and Mark 1:14. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Mark 1.14, it reads, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. And in Matthew 4.17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's reading the word. You may be seated. When we're going through this study, there's times where we have to piece the different gospels together so so we get a good time frame of what's going on. Last week, we looked at the the Samaritan woman and, and how Jesus offered the gospel to her. And because she believed in Jesus, she went and told her entire community. And many of them ended up believing, first because of her testimony, but then they heard and had that experience with Jesus and, and believed upon him. And so he stayed with them another two days. And so this two days that it speaks of here is two days after meeting with these the Samaritan woman. And now he has gone into Galilee. and uh, to get you an idea, you we, we can think of Jerusalem as Washington, D.C. Imagine you've taken a trip to Washington, D.C., and now you've come back to Illinois. Galilee would be Jesus' Illinois. Nazareth would be his Aurora, Oswego, Montgomery, whatever whatever town around here you call home. And so that, that is the, the process that, that he's, he's going through at this time. And so, as I, I said, we need to understand what Jesus is doing. What is the kingdom? Now, we see Jesus picks up right where John the Baptist left off. John the Baptist has been arrested, and in a little while we'll, we'll talk about that in a week or two, of what it means that John has been arrested, why has he been arrested. We'll just say John was a truth speaker. He did not care if he didn't like the truth, he spoke the truth. And sometimes when you speak the truth, people don't like it. And this time there was somebody in a very high-seated position of authority that he spoke the truth, and he had him arrested. But I would have us look back to Luke chapter 3 real quickly. This is what what we read about John. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all of Simeon of the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. So what I want you to see here is that the The uh, preaching that John the Baptist does is the same preaching that Jesus does. It is the same message, the same gospel. And so, uh, we rightly call John the last of the Old Testament saints, but Jesus the Messiah is a prophet, and he is preaching the same message. So, when we talk about the Old Testament and New Testament, they are not two different messages. They are the one message. Repent, for the Kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Some translations may say near, but they they really are, are saying the same thing. And as I said, there's three terms that we want to know today. The terms we need to know are repentance. Do you know what it means to repent? You truly know. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, repentance is, is a, it's an a, action. You know, we're turning away from an action or a belief that is, that is ungodly, that is evil, That is sinful. You know, the the Greek word has a sense of doing like a 180. Like we're walking down this road and we'll pretend they're in sin for a minute. I'm coming closer and closer to sin and realize this is wrong. This is sinful. I need to repent to turn around and go back to God. And so we're going to go towards God, away from the sin. What happens a lot is a lot of people think repentance is this. Like there's sin, so I'm just going to stop right here. I've repented, right? No, I haven't repented at all because I'm not going back to God. And then that is feeling sorrowful that you're getting close to sin or you've partaken in sin. So we need to understand repentance is more than just conviction. Many of us feel bad when we do wrong things and we should. The Holy Spirit should convict us when we're doing evil. But conviction alone does not bring about repentance. It's kind of like this. You set your alarm clock in the morning. You know you have to be at work at 7 a.m. So you set your alarm clock at 5.30. The alarm clock goes off. The alarm clock is the thing telling you sin is evil. It is wrong. Do not do it. Well, what do you do? You hit the snooze because you enjoy it. You hit the snooze again. Next thing you know, you're late for work, and your boss is like, "What are you doing? You need to get in here. And if you don't get in there soon, you're going to be out of a job." That is how many of us we we kind of treat repentance. Like we know this is this thing is wrong to do, but you know, sleeping in is kind of fun. You know, you know, sin. The scripture says sin can be pleasurable for a season, but ultimately sin leads to death. The reason we all die is because we all have sinned. If you want to tell me you're not a sinner, I'll wait Wait to see you live forever. That will show that you are not a sinner. It's more than almost stopping. It's more than having that feeling of being bad. It's more than just having an emotional feeling like this is wrong. It is a deliberate act. It's more than saying I'm sorry. more than coming up to somebody and crying and saying, I'm sorry I hurt you. A lot of times we say sorry because we've been found out. That we're sorry of the consequences. We're not really sorry of the action. It has to be more than fear. It has to be more than just reformation. Reformation affects the future. And when we talk about, let's say, when we talk, see somebody that's in prison. You know, the point of prison is so that they will re, be reformed and reform their life, so they will no longer do the things that they've done in the past. But if they aren't actually sorry for what they've done in the past, they're not really repenting at all. You can kind of look at it like this: that. Faith, when we talk about repentance, it's always coupled together with, with faith. Spurgeon called them the twins that are inseparable. You know, they, they are not the same thing, but they are always together. And so with faith, faith is the hand that reaches out and wants to touch God. But repentance is the feet that walks towards God to reach out to Him. So many of us find that when we say we're repenting, we're not really turning back to God. That's something we, we need to understand, that, that we need to truly be repentant. And we'll see that repentance is always at the heart of the ministry of Jesus. So we turn back, back to God. And this is what Jesus is calling for. Because he's telling them about the kingdom. And the way to the kingdom is repentance. People need to repent to be prepared to be able to enter in the kingdom. We talk a lot about what the kingdom means. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that is coming. And Jesus numerous times gives a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom. What can you say is common about all these people—liars, adulterers, fornicators, evildoers, sorcerers, homosexuals—the list goes on and on and on. And what is it that they have in common? They are unrepentant. Can you be a liar and get into heaven? If you repented of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord, yes, you can. Being a liar doesn't mean you can't get into heaven ever, but it's being that unrepentant liar, that, that is the problem. We oftentimes will, will will, hear about the grace of God and people tell you to trust in Him and believe in Him. And I will tell you that too. You'll know, hear people talk, talk about receive Him into your heart. What does that mean to you? Search the Scriptures. You'll never find that verse. Receive Jesus into your heart. We mean something different by that. Well, We're, we're saying that, that you have to confess your sins to God. You have to repent and truly be sorrowful and turn back to God. And accept Him and and accept what He has done for you on the cross. That is what we're getting at. Ultimately, the definition we have for repentance is this. Is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience in Christ. So when we talk about repentance, when Jesus is saying repent, when John the Baptist is saying repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, He is saying that. He is saying to have a heartfelt sorrow for sin, renounce it. And had a sincere commitment to follow after Christ and be obedient to him. What was the problem with the Pharisees? They didn't mind going and getting baptized by John. Many people came and got baptized by John. But they were not sorry for their sin. They just wanted to recognize that God was doing something with John. So they wanted to be part of it. And understand with the kingdom, repentance always has to come first. And we, we talk about... Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll come up with the words predestination and free will. And how do we reconcile those? Well, For me, it's pretty simple. Christ was predestined to go to the cross. Revelation says, before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb was slain. Wrap your mind around that. Before Adam and Eve ever followed, Jesus was ready to go to the cross. For you, do not catch God by surprise. The free will part takes place in repentance. Do I repent of my sins and turn to God Paul says that faith is a free gift of God that he gives to those who are repentant. So if we are repentant, we will have faith in Christ. If we reject Christ, that shows that we are not truly repentant. So as I said, repentance is at the heart of the ministry of Jesus. I'm going to put a quote up on the slides here from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a World War II-era theologian. He lived in Germany during the rise of uh, Hitler and, and the, the Nazi Party, and he saw many of his fellow pastors and professors proclaiming that, that Christianity and, and what was happening in Nazi Germany were compatible. They are absolutely not. And what were they doing? is they were offering grace. They were offering the gospel without the cross. They were offering the gospel without repentance. And so what they were actually doing is offering another gospel. This is his quote. Cheap grace, as he coined it, is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and in incarnate. What those words sink in well, what Dietrich is trying to say to us. He, he uh, will ultimately pay his, with his life. He is martyred by the the, the Nazi regime in a a, uh, torturous camp where he is hung by piano wire. Why? Because he tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He felt that in his bones that Adolf Hitler's life was, was so harmful to humanity that he could not possibly dream of helping restore Germany to the place God wants it to be if he did not try to stop the evil of his day we have different evils we face and we must be willing to stand up. But one of those evils to me is the preaching of a false gospel in many churches. Where when we we come, we we talk about how to improve your life. But do we talk about how to repent of of what we've done to Jesus Christ? Do we understand the weight of our sin and all that it has cost us and it has cost God? Do we turn back to Him? Or do we just kind of say, well, Just believe in Jesus and go live your life however you want to. It'll be okay. Well, what has happened? We've told you, hey, come enter in the kingdom, even that you have not repented. You have not put on the the clothes that are required for the wedding feast. There's a parable Jesus will talk about later where those with the white garments were allowed to come into the kingdom. But there were those there that that were ready there that did not have the right garments on. And what did the the master of the feast do when he saw them? He kicked them out. But nobody's warning of that. They're just saying, come on in. It, you know, it's about feeling good. It's about making, making yourself better. The gospel is not about that. It, the gospel is about preparing you to live for all eternity in the kingdom of God. So that's that. Uh, we, we need to, to look at uh, some, some different uh, aspects of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. We, we see these terms used interchangeably almost in, in the gospels. Uh, Mark, Luke, and John solely use the kingdom of God. But Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven. And at, at first you might read this, you might hear people some commentate that they're the same thing. They are not the same thing. And you know, Some people think it's like you go to a restaurant and you say, I want a pop, and somebody says, well, I want a soda. They're really talking about the same thing. This is not that scenario. Well, to, to give us an idea of what the, the kingdom of God is, I'll give a de- definition here. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of all that God is sovereign over. So you're saying, well, that's everything, isn't it? It's the heaven, earth, sun, moon, and stars, you and I, Satan and the demons. God is sovereign over all. Amen? Amen. Amen. It includes you and me, the angels and demons. The kingdom includes all the past, present, and future aspects of the kingdom. God is indeed sovereign over everything. But this should bring us some questions to our mind. If the kingdom of God is everything God is sovereign over, Why does Christ say it is at hand? Hasn't it always been at hand? Why do we hear so much about entering into the kingdom of those who won't be able to because of their unrepentant sin? How how can Scripture say that Satan is ruling over this world, that he is able to offer to Christ all the kingdoms of this world? You see, there's something going on here. God is sovereign over all, but there's been an insurrection. It would be like... a a, um, with, in our country, in the White House, we have a president, if a, a uh, terrorist group came in and took over the White House and took over and declared themselves the leaders of the United States of America, would you and I accept them as our rulers? Absolutely not. It's kind of what, what has happened. With, with Adam and Eve, sin has entered in the world. Satan deceived Eve through the serpent. And when Adam fell, he was like a steward king. For God, He was the king of the earth, but Satan usurped his authority, usurped Adam's throne, and is now reigning in Adam's place. And so while this is all the kingdom of God, it is not as it should be on earth as it is in heaven. We will see that, how, how does Jesus pray? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we see there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now so... When we say how do we reconcile this, the answer is the kingdom of heaven as we look at this. So I'll give you the kingdom of heaven definition. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of all creation that has been redeemed or never fell under the curse of sin. So right now the earth is not under the kingdom of heaven because it is still lost in sin. Those of us who do not believe, who have not repented and placed our faith in Jesus Christ are not part of the kingdom of heaven. But that kingdom is coming. Amen? that is what Jesus was proclaiming. He doesn't have to elaborate what the kingdom is to the Jewish people because they know. They've been living since Adam and Abraham, Noah, Isaac and Jacob, David. David has promised, the the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He's telling him that a day is coming where where David's descendant will be the king that rules forever over the entire earth. And that, that one is Jesus Christ. And so he had no need to explain it to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. We see when, when Pontius Pilate is questioning Jesus, Jesus says, My kingdom is what? Not of this world. And Pontius Pilate has no idea what to make of that statement like. It, you know, scripture indicates to us that it makes him fear. Like, wait a minute, what do you mean your kingdom is not of this world? Like, you're claiming to be something I have. No idea what you're claiming to be. And we know from Scripture, his wife had a terrible dream, and she pleaded with Pontius Pilate not to have Jesus put to death. You see, Jesus is the King of Heaven. He has the angels as his army. And one day soon, we will be part of that army. Amen? Now, those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are now part of the Kingdom of Heaven. But there's two things that, that really have to happen. We need to realize that God, Jesus is fully God. He needs to be fully God to, to take Satan off his throne on earth. Because it is, it is God who is in control, who is sovereign, who dictates what, what um, abilities, what authorities we will have on this earth. Jesus says to Pontius 5, if it was not given to you by my Father, you would have no power over me. And so Satan needs to be dethroned by God. But also the one that God will place on the throne needs to be fully human to take up the promise given to David to restore the, the fall that occurred with Adam. That is why Jesus is called the second Adam. So we, we have this battle between God and Satan. It's been raging on for, it seems like, forever. But it is coming to a close one day very soon. And I'll read to you something that may help help to stand out. Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is Jesus proclaiming there? He is proclaiming he has dethroned Satan, that the earth now belongs to Jesus Christ. And how did that happen? It happened because Jesus came in the flesh. He took off upon humanity, upon himself. He went to the cross and bore our sins. Now, to, to get a little deep in scripture, there, there's something that, that happens between God and Satan around Jesus that we, we need to understand. Who is the bride of Christ? Church. The church. So I want you to see this. And Jesus oftentimes uses marriage analogies and, and, and talks about us as his bride. Now we were once slaves to sin. In the, the Hebrew culture, to, for a marriage to happen... It wasn't the, the gentleman went up to the lady and got down on one knee and said, Nina, will you marry me? <laughs> Getting the look just over here. <laughs> That's the way we do it in our culture. But in that culture, the fathers got together and made an agreement. So we know who Jesus' father is, amen? Amen. Who's your father before you came to Christ? Satan. Satan. Jesus says to the Jews who are rejecting him, You do not believe my words because you are the father, or you're the children of your father, the devil. So, so what happens? We look at the Last Supper, right? And during the Last Supper, something happens to a man named Judas. It says Satan enters into him. And then Judas gets up and he goes to the temple and he goes to the priests who are what? Representatives of Jesus' father, God. That the high priest speaks for God. Why he is high priest. That's where the Catholics get their thing with the Pope. They try to borrow that. It doesn't work. And so what happens? They agree to give Judas, who is at that moment possessed by Satan himself, 30 pieces of silver. How much is 30 pieces of silver? Of it is a price of a slave. Do you not see what has happened? The Father has bought your freedom. He has secured the bribe. For his son Jesus Christ. And so now you are free. For those that belong to Christ. And now Jesus goes to the cross. And he takes the wrath of the father. He dies for you and I. Dies for our sin. And with that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan has lost all authority. He has lost all power. He has lost all his domain. He is stuck here waiting for judgment. And that is why he attacks you so profusely. Because he can't possibly get back to God. He has lost the battle. He has lost the war. He is like the the soldiers in the the Civil War who haven't heard that the war is over. That the, the peace treaties have been signed. That the South has lost. And he's still fighting. And there was one of those such men, Booth, who ends up killing the President of the United States. Satan is like that man. He is trying to hurt anyone who belongs to God. Because he can't get at God. He has no authority in the throne room anymore. He can't just go up as he did in the days of Job and say, God, I want to test this man right now. He won't really love you. Let, let me kill his family. Let me take everything you see he has. He will curse you. He has lost that. And that is why Jesus is able to say, All authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. I send you out now. Go and proclaim the gospel. Baptizing Believers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we are proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is coming upon the earth. And very soon we will be taken up, the bride We will be transformed, given those glorified bodies. And that wedding feast will be consummated. And we, as part of God's army, will come down with Jesus Christ and declare war on all those that are inhabiting Christ's kingdom. Amen. And have no right or authority to do so. And Christ will conquer sin, will cast him into hell and set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And then Satan will be judged, and all those who have rejected Christ will be judged. And there will be a new heaven, a new earth, no more sin. And then we could rightly say that it will all be the kingdom of God. Amen. As Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3.13, But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so right now we are living in this dichotomy. You and I, we, we are told by Jesus Christ that we are not of this world any longer. We have no loyalty to this world because our loyalty belongs to Christ and his kingdom. We may love our country and long for our country to turn to God. But ultimately, when when that day comes, we will not be a people who are, who is looking for America to be made great again. We will be looking for Christ and his kingdom to be reigning and holy and righteousness. Amen? Amen? I think a good, good way to conclude a read. McCracken writes here, Following Christ is not one of the golden tickets to a white picket fence in the American dream. It's an invitation to die and pick up a cross. Similarly, C.S. Lewis writes, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of wine would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. When McCracken and Lewis are... Both getting at that it's easy to find basic happiness and comfort. But living the Christian life and being part of the church community requires making sacrifices that may make you feel uncomfortable, but ultimately help us to become more like Jesus. It's a trade-off that's always worth it. Jesus tells us what it will cost to follow Him, our lives in this world. We grow by leaving our comfort zones and entering into the challenges and discomforts of our faith. Instead of avoiding this truth, we should embrace it and press it. Into the joy of dying to ourselves and living for God and neighbor. Ultimately, what we are called to be as Christians is is to leave ourselves behind, to repent of the way we were living, and to take on that newness of life that the Holy Spirit gives us when we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ. When you have that moment, it says you are born again. Make, Make this real clear Jesus said this You must be born again. You cannot enter into the kingdom. Understand what kingdom he is talking about. He is not talking about the United States as you know it. He is not talking about the Old Testament Israel. He is talking about his kingdom which is to come. Which will dethrone all kingdoms. He is the king of all kings. He is sitting in heaven as king right now. Awaiting the order from his father to come get his bride. You want to know what's next in the history of the timeline of prophecy? It's the coming for the bride. Amen. For you. But is he coming for you? You have to have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. If you have not, you, you will come to church one Sunday and you'll find I am not here. You'll find my wife not here. I pray you'll find the majority of us not here. Amen. But some of you will come. You'll be like, where is everyone? And the world will offer you lies. And you'll be swept away by a figure known as the Antichrist who will offer you everything. But in the end, give you do nothing. Jesus Christ has offered you everything. He has already paid for it. It was paid for on the cross. Your salvation has been secured. All that you have to do is place your faith in him. That's why we read with, with Jesus Jesus says, All sins will be forgiven. Yes, all sins will be forgiven except one. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It is to deny the testimony of the Holy Spirit which testifies to you that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who has come down to save you from your sins on the cross. That he took upon the wrath of God all your sins on that cross and he died. He was dead in the ground three days and the Father raised him to the newness of life. That he is now in a glorified body. That he has ascended and is at the right hand of God until the Father tells him to come and get those that belong to him. That is the testimony of the Holy Spirit to you. We read about it in Scripture. If you ask God to reveal to you, He will. But if you reject the Holy Spirit, ultimately the sin that you are going to be held most accountable for is not the, the sinful things you did, but the rejection of the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. As we think back last week, the Samaritan woman, what if she said, I don't need you? She would be lost. Her town would be lost. Samaria would be lost. But she didn't. She trusted in God and she believed. And that's what I call you to to today. We're about to close in prayer and play that final song. If you have not had that moment where you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, where you've confessed your sins to God, you've genuinely repented, not just stopped close of sinning and and getting, getting on the border, but turning away from that, having nothing to do with that, Desiring never to go back to that again. And desiring to go to the light of God. That is ultimately what repentance is. When we, we go on in, in the future of the many sermons that await us in this gospel series. If you don't understand repentance and don't understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have a really hard time understanding this. So I want you to understand it now. If there's any question you have, I, I ask you to come see me after service. I want you to, to really grasp what this means because this is at the heart of Jesus' message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is the gateway to the kingdom of heaven because he is heaven's king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that you sent your Son, that you re- proclaim to us that we need to repent so we may enter into your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit convicting us and giving us that ability to place our faith, faith in You, Lord God, for allowing, allowing to us to to bear our hearts to You and to to see the the utter sin and darkness that lies within, but knowing that You offer to purge us of that, Lord, and to forgive us so that we may be with You forevermore. It's in Your Holy Name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.